Today's episode of the Channel 33 Soccer Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling sports and music tickets. SeatGeek makes buying tickets on your phone a total snap. With just two taps, you can instantly buy tickets to an event that same day, have your tickets delivered straight to your phone, and enter the event without ever having to print a ticket. And if you can't go to a game or show, you can sell your tickets directly from the app in less than 30 seconds. With SeatGeek, there's no guesswork. You know exactly where you're sitting, what you will pay, and whether or not you're getting a good deal, all right from your phone. So drop your old ticket app and experience buying and selling tickets the way it should be. To start using SeatGeek, download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Welcome to Channel 33 Soccer Pod. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRigger.com, and I am joined by Ryan O'Hanlon. Ryan, say hi. Hi. Yes! <laughs> the pause! Uh, Ryan and I are here to talk a little bit about the Champions League draw, which took place today. It's Thursday. I don't know what day in August it is, but it is later in the month. 25th. And the 25th. And we're also going to talk a little bit about Premier League. Not the most, not the tastiest of menus this weekend, but we do have one match, Liverpool Arsenal, uh, Liverpool Tottenham, that we are going to want to break down a little bit. And then at the end, end, we're going to talk a little bit about our new favorite, probably the greatest mind in uh, European football right now, Sean Dyche. I, I would say just European philosophy. Yeah, he is kind of a Wittgenstein of uh, <laughs> kicking the ball as far as possible. Okay, Ryan, let's talk a little bit about Champions League. Um, draws came, The draw came out today. Always a big day for Thierry Henry and Ian Rush to pull signs out of a ball or whatever <laughs> they do to, to, to decide these things. Um, I got to say, just off the top, I'm... I'm like having a little bit of Champions League fatigue. And I don't know whether or not that is because I feel like at the end of the day, it's always going to be these like same four or five teams. And even the two or three teams that might be surprising really don't have a prayer or whether or not there's something overly drawn out about the process to get to next April or whatever it is. But am I wrong thinking that this this is a competition that could use a shakeup? I think it could, but I, I'm not really sure what the shakeup is. P- part of what I would say is that the group stages are just... I, I don't know if the group stages are really ever that exciting. In well, they're any. not just, because I feel like if if a team... Like, in most of these groups, there are at least you know, there are two teams who are going to go through, pretty obvious. Yeah. If one of them don't, the team that's going through, that's great. But do I really want to watch Borussia Mönchengladbach in... The sixteenth round of sixteen or the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Maybe I do. I don't know. Would you in like an international tournament though, would you feel the same way where like a country can get knocked out that you'd rather see like, you know, Switzerland? Well, this is why like the the version of the Euros that we just lost was like my favorite tournament. Yeah. Because it it it, it had a, a longer, you know, the qualification process was what it was, but it felt like you got you did get the the best teams in Europe competing with each other in a really cutthroat compressed uh environment. Yeah. So would you I mean we've seen some news that um the top 4 leagues in Europe are soon going to be guaranteed four places in the tournament. That that's... stuff doesn't I mean I I think that that's too bad or whatever but mm-hmm. it doesn't bother me. I'd rather I mean honestly I'd rather watch Roma than Dynamo Kiev. The, the thing I wonder with this I wonder if I remember 
um you know when liverpool were in the knockout stage or the group stages obviously not the knockout stage that doesn't <laughs> Certainly happen. Not that. um a couple years ago it, it was exciting to watch those games um, sure and i shouldn't i don't want to sound like a, a bitter dick because i think that that is that does have something to do with it i think that there's something about how these there's a couple of teams here that are have been, have sort of repeated the same like arsenal i think is a really good example of a yeah. team that Every year gets in, every year goes through, every year gets knocked out in the first or second round of knockouts. And it there's a there, every year we're going to wind up at the end of the season and it's going to be some combo of Bayern, Barcelona, maybe Real, Atletico, you know, Juventus. Like yeah. these teams I just don't feel like there's maybe I just like miss AC Milan. I don't know. Like I just miss like some there there's something that's not as fun about this 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 competition as it was maybe five or six years ago. Yeah, well, I, I think part of it... Suspiciously when Liverpool were good at it. Yeah, I, I think that's that's what you're getting at. We need to just sort of build this around whatever promotes Liverpool the farthest. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also, like, it's more just... It's a symptom of the fact that there are, like, five teams in Europe that can win this every year. Yeah. sort of staying the same, and that, that isn't changing. Yeah, and I guess that's... Is that any different than the NBA? Not really. No. You know? Um let's look at the groups would you do anything here is there because there's really not a way to make it a shorter or a more competitive group stage unless you had some sort of bizarre lottery that said one thing i was thinking is this crazy is having um basically a draw like a lotto where it was like you're only playing the team in your group once Mm -hmm. and some and like it would be in a neutral stadium in the group stage so basically like PSG and Basel could play in Old Trafford. Yeah. Or PSG and Basel could play. Or like Barca and Celtic at the Sevilla Stadium. Yeah. That's probably crazy. That would be cool, but then it's like the sort of poor, not poor, none of these teams are poor, but the teams with less money don't get the gate receipts. Yeah, I know. And that's that's sort of the the point of cup. I mean, I guess the other thing you could do is just rank the teams that you have here the 32 or however many teams it is from 1 to 32 and just make it a f- 32 team two leg knockout competition that, that's that's what's up that's like, that brian cloth shit yeah i i would watch that <laughs> yeah I, I with two legs i i don't think there well would this be... is this is the same thing this happens in so many different sports right like we talk about this all the time with like maybe the nba should be closer about 64 games because yeah. that's about two college basketball seasons it's the extra 20 games you could definitely shave off stats would change like records would change but wouldn't that make it so much better yeah but obviously like there's so much money involved in like losing 20 games would be losing like millions of dollars yeah anyway let's look at the groups themselves we won't belabor this too much but ryan has um he's got takes coming out of his ears here on these <laughs> groups so we're just going to go through them real quick group a features paris saint germain arsenal basel and ludo goretz uh, the main take from this is Arsenal is going to lose in the round of 16 again. Yes. PSG and Arsenal probably going through. Although Basel can be giant killers from here and here and there. As we found out. Yeah. As Liverpool fans. <laughs> um, group B is Benfica, Napoli, Dynamo Kiev, and Besiktas. I don't find this one interesting uh, other than Quaresma. Who's on Besiktas? Yes. Uh, okay. I think that... I think Napoli and... I think Napoli and Benfica go through, but I'm not like a huge expert on Dynamo Kiev or Besiktas, to be honest. Uh, Group C, Barcelona, Manchester City, Borussia, Mochen, Gladbach, and Celtic. This is probably the most romantic, uh, or not even romantic, because I guess Man City is not romantic, but this is one of the most fun groups 
Uh, what do you think of this one? Um, I think the big story here is uh, is Brendan Rodgers going to play his entire youth team when Celtic goes to the <laughs> I new think camp? They, I got to say though, I th- I can't wait. If I can't wait, this is one of the group matches where I cannot wait to watch Barca at at Celtic Park. Yeah, that'll be incredible. It was incredible a couple years yeah. ago when Celtic beat them. Group D: Bayern Munich, Atletico Madrid, PSV Eindhoven, and FC Rostov. This is another. I'm, everybody's going to be wanting to watch Bayern and Atletico, although. You know, this is where it comes in, where like teams like Atletico, who are so good at just playing conservatively and pl- and playing aggressive, you know, and playing passionate but yeah. conservative football, like will they just nullify Bayern? Yeah, I feel like the Bayern Atletico, the two like two these two games aren't going to be anywhere near as exciting as their two knockout legs were. Do you think Atletico is going to go through? It's been a, a couple of really incredible runs for them, always coming up short in Champions League. Yeah, you kind of, you kind, I kind of feel like that. Like I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop with the conservative style, and maybe they draw too many games. And um, PSV, they beat in a shootout um, in the knockaround last year, so they were almost yeah knocked out by them earlier on. Um, Group E: CSK, Moscow, Bayern, Lever- Bayern Leverkusen, Tottenham Hotspur, and um, Monaco. <laughs> I think this is a good draw for Tottenham. It's uh, a great draw for Tottenham. Leverkusen is sort of like we sort of we talk a lot about Liverpool and Tottenham being these energetic teams. Leverkusen is Liverpool and Tottenham combined. Fast forward at sixteen times speed. So the Tottenham Leverkusen game should be. Who's fun. like a couple of players in Leverkusen we should watch out for? Do you know? Is it Stefan? What's his, who's the striker on that team? That team? Kiesling. Yeah, Kiesling. Uh, that's this, right. This guy Kevin Campbell, this center mid that they have, this like attacking midfielder they play as a center mid is sort okay. of the like bellwether for that team. Okay, cool. Uh, group F. This is the best. This is probably the coolest one. Real Madrid, Borussia Dortmund. It's going to be like the tie of the. I think. It could be the tie of the the entire group stage, along with Sporting Lisbon and Lesia Warsaw. Which team you think is better, Madrid or Dortmund? If you had to say right now, Madrid. two legs. Who, who does it's better? Madrid. I mean, that's that's what you should say. I can't. I, I like Dortmund a lot, and I love. I, I think they made some incredible additions, mm-hmm. and I think they could actually push Munich this season in yeah. the Bundesliga, but. I think Madrid is one of the best three teams in Europe. Yeah, I think this group has, maybe with Bayern and Atletico, this group has the most the teams with the biggest chance of winning the Champions League combined. Okay. Uh, group G, Leicester, Porto, Club Bruges, and FC Copenhagen. Pretty good for Leicester. I guess this is what you get for winning the Premier League. You get a nice draw. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the best draw they could have asked for. Um, I guess they could have asked for, but... There's the school of thinking that they kind of want to just not. <laughs> Do you subscribe to the idea that actually Champions League will suit Leicester quite well tactically? I normally would, but they're not. Like, if they were playing teams that were quote unquote better than them, I think it would have fit them, but they're not. Like, Bruges and Copenhagen aren't going to play this expansive possession right, style against Leicester. Back. Yeah. Um, it could work against Porto. That that game should be interesting. Just seeing those two names on the scoreboard together. Sure, that's good. It's, it's gonna be it's gonna be a nice atmosphere. At both yeah. ties. The thing is, is that what especially when you see these teams that you know if they haven't been in the Champions League in a while or have never been in the Champions League before, they get a chance. Like uh, King Power Stadium is gonna be pretty yeah. awesome on that first Tuesday night that somebody like Porto comes to town. Yeah. Group H final group, Juventus, Sevilla, Leon, Dynamo, Zagreb. This could be low key the most entertaining 
draw a uh, group. They've got Leon's got some really cool p- players to watch, mm-hmm. like Alexander Lacazette. Juventus is Juventus. Um, some people think they'll be even better than they were last year. And Sevilla features your uh, your favorite coach. Yeah, I don't know if he's my favorite, uh, but he, I think he might be the most exciting. Who is um, it? Jorge Sampaoli, the and former he's... Chile manager, um, the descendant of our our, our god, yeah, like Marcelo Bielsa. Basically the reason we're friends is um, Marcelo Bielsa. Yeah. This is literally the only reason we're friends. Um, <laughs> and Sampaoli sort of has, seems a little bit to have taken the Bielsa model and made it slightly less idealistic and effective. Right. Um, and he doesn't quit two jobs in six months. Yeah. Well, I mean, he hasn't yet. Um <laughs> His first game with Sevilla, uh, they played Espanyol last week, and they won 6-4. So if you're looking for a, a hipster team to root for yeah. where they're actually fun, it would be Sevilla. I really like Juventus at 12-1 to to win the whole thing. Iguain's already off to a nice start for them. What do you think? Have you seen, got a chance to see Juventus play at all in, in, in league play yet? I haven't much, but I think the thing with them is that so they've essentially replaced Pogba with a striker and another center mid so mm-hmm. th- there's an argument to be made that maybe this team is a little more balanced yeah. and can be a little more i guess ruthless than it started it past. starts to fully come out from under the kind of molding that conte put onto them too yeah right? you might uh there's i don't know who this person was but someone came up with this thing called the ewing theory uh, oh yeah a couple years ago so um, some guy works for like the sporting news or something yeah i forget okay um but that there's a little bit of that um possibly going on here all right, well, that's the Champions League. We'll obviously be watching. We'll obviously be talking about it. Uh, let's take a break real quick, and then we will talk about the Premier League this weekend. All right, man. Well, not the tastiest of, of Premier League schedules this weekend. There's one absolute marquee game. That's Tottenham-Liverpool. Other than that, you've got a couple of like interesting matchups. It would be interesting to see if Arsenal... Gets their goal boots on against Watford. Yet again, you know, they have had a hard time putting the ball in the back of the net. Well, I guess against Liverpool, they scored three times. But you know what I mean? Like getting anything from Sanchez, getting yeah, anything. Scoring from... against someone who isn't Simon Mignolet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Chelsea goes to uh, Burnley. We'll talk a little bit about Burnley in a little bit. Leicester and Swansea City. I think Leicester will. I think Swansea City is looking a little bit shaky right now. Yeah. Um, but the big game that we want to talk about is Tottenham Liverpool. Both teams have had, I don't know if they've come out of the gates flying. Is like Liverpool, the more you think about it, they have 20 really, really good minutes against Arsenal Mm -hmm. and 90 really, really bad minutes against Burnley. Yeah. So if you take out the four goals that they scored against (laughs) Arsenal and the five goals they put on Burton Albion or whatever Mm -hmm. the hell they played over the weekend in the EFC Cup or whatever it's called, the (laughs) EFL Cup, uh, it's the Carling Cup, it's the League Cup. But whoever. I, I, it's, it's easy to k- kind of come out of Arsenal and be like, Liverpool are going to win the league and come out of Burnley and be like, they're going to be mid-table. Where's your, where's your thinking on it, Land? The, the thing with that is it's sort of the same old story with Liverpool, I feel like, in the sense that we always see them have these amazing performances against really good teams, and then the next week they play a team that's really not trying to score, and they get so frustrated can't do anything just keep launching shots into the stands and eventually lose um so like having that theme that's been within the club for the past decade just immediately pop up in the first two weekends is really concerning but i think at the same time you know the burnley game 
when you give up a goal in the first two minutes, it like totally negates Klopp's style of trying to create transitions and win the ball back. Because Burnley, they score, they don't think they're going to get a goal, but they get one, then they have no reason to attack right. the rest of the game. So I feel like if they can avoid giving up goals in the first five minutes, they're going to be better against these lesser teams. Um, but it is a little concerning that the whole game was sort of them getting the ball to within 30 yards and then resorting to just launching it toward the goal and eventually hitting you're, into the stands. You're a Liverpool fan. I'm yeah. a Liverpool fan. But, like, you know, you win your first game 4-3, you lose your second game to a relegation candidate 2 nothing. Yeah. Would you rather be a Tottenham fan? Do you feel better about Spurs as a Spurs fan than you would about Liverpool as a Liverpool fan? Tottenham coming out, tying Everton 1-1 first week, winning one nothing at Crystal Palace. I think I would because the concerns about Liverpool that you might have had coming to the season are immediately addressed by these first two games. Mm-hmm. With Tottenham, I don't know if it is. I think they sort of, the first half against Everton, they weren't great. Um, they give up the goal where Ross Barkley plays a ball into the box and no one heads it and it goes in the Frank Lampard special. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they they sort of got it together in the second half and then ran Crystal Palace off the field, uh-huh. which is what they're supposed to do. And they're missing Moussa Dembele, who you know, is probably secretly one of their most important players. They're playing uh, Victor Wanyama instead of him. So that sort of makes them just more defensive by nature. Um, I do enjoy the Wanyama dire yeah clotheslining dudes midfield which yeah. is very fun yeah it, it'll be interesting seeing liverpool's all tiny attacking midfielders try to break through and how the, many of them come out of there alive yeah, yeah. um at funds maybe not the right word but i think tottenham sort of the crystal palace game sort of repositions it and it's they are kind of what we thought they were there's nothing to really be concerned about yet yeah i think that people i think for fans there was a expectation because tottenham came out of the traps they looked like what Liverpool looked like in the 20 minutes against Arsenal. Yeah. Like that, I think that the overall judgment of Tottenham was that they were athletic. They were they ran until there was no more air to be breathed, and that they had a very very hot goal scorer yeah. in Harry Kane. And Kane is yet to really kind of turn over this season. It seems like he still has like a little bit of a hangover from the Euros. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like Kane's underlying numbers suggest that he'll be fine this season, or is there something for Tottenham fans to worry about? I, I think he's going to be totally fine. If anything, I think it's sort of nice to have four points with harry kane not really contributing anything yeah. just yet um plus they've added some more attacking players vincent jansen um from the air divise that can kind of pick up the slack they're rumored case. to be in for wilfred zaha yeah um I, I think it's it's way too early to worry about kane i think the worries are related to the euros and not actually how he's performing in the premier league sure um one thing that came up for Liverpool this week, a little bit out of the Burnley game and going into their League Cup game, was Daniel Sturridge talking a little bit to the press about feeling like he was being played out of position. Yeah. Because Firmino, I believe, played up the middle and Sturridge was played out on the left or on the wing mm-hmm. um, during the Burnley game. This has come up a couple of times for a couple of different teams, for a couple of different players over the last, you know, end of last season, beginning of this season, of people that you would expect statistically and just in terms of their impact on the game would have an expectation of playing in their favored position. Yeah. Klopp's response to this was pretty interesting, which was basically that Daniel Sturridge needs to get over it because positions are really fluid. Yeah. And just because you're lined up as a winger Mm -hmm. does not mean you're not playing up the middle and that 
you know, just this idea that 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 is more of a psychological thing than it is a practical thing. And Sturge actually made a pretty good argument where he was like, the way that you see the field and the things that you're responsible for on a as a winger are just completely different than when you're playing up the middle. Yeah. Um, do we overrate the importance of positions, especially in the attacking six positions? I think we probably do a little bit, but I think the Sturridge comments get at, like, in some way they get at the idea of, like, you know how, like, in baseball, like, the closer position is, like, this like vaunted thing that every relief pitcher wants but yeah. like having I a didn't closer come here to pitch the eighth inning yeah kind of having a closer doesn't necessarily make the most sense you're not necessarily pitching the most important innings um so like being a striker you think you're supposed to score goals and then when you get put out to the wing that has like a connotation possibly sure, sure. and you're like okay i'm not i'm not the main guy anymore which is not true but i think having a positionless team is great in theory but it's very hard to sort of actually do in practice um we were talking about this there's very few teams where i think Mourinho's pretty good at this Mm -hmm. but there are very few teams where everybody is playing probably exactly where they'd like to be playing yeah you know and sometimes that can be a positive change eric dyer moving into central defense i guess central defensive midfield is an example of probably eric dyer i don't know if he is or isn't more comfortable but he's certainly very effective in central defensive midfield yeah uh but when you have people like Sanchez playing a striker or Sturridge playing on the wing, and then we wanted to talk about a little bit about Rooney, who's had this almost as high, Wayne Rooney's had this in his entire career. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Rooney is that the way I looked at it with Rooney, it's like you have all these new managers like Klopp that are sort of want these players that can sort of roam all over the field. It like reminds me of the all the optionality talk mm-hmm. in the NBA. Yeah. And Rooney is, like, the guy that can do that. He's played every position in the front six, basically, in his entire career. But he sort of was in his prime when that wasn't as much of a widespread tactic, I guess, or strategy. So I think he's sort of been... He's moved all over the place and never has had one position. has never, like, specifically shined as a superstar in one position. His his thing was moving all over the place. And I think we sort of maybe underappreciate how good he was because he never played any of these specific positions also i mean i just always remember um especially at the end under ferguson rooney whenever he would be dispossessed just chasing back after the ball no matter how Mm -hmm. much it busted up the shape of the side so i think that rooney presents problems to managers especially ones who are like my the most important thing is that you guys stay in a a cohesive shape yeah well i think the the thing with rooney is that like (laughs) would we if he just played up top his entire career and we know he can score and he just kept scoring and scoring i mean he scored a ton but if he was just leading the premier league in goals every year we would think about him differently probably as a player and maybe the impact he's had on united his entire career by being so versatile and letting them do all these different things is actually bigger than the impact he would have had but like the way we understand it it doesn't seem that way it's strange. He's he's in a lot of ways the totem for that club yeah. over the last ten years, but has rarely been the best player on that team. Yeah, exactly. But he his presence has essentially allowed all of these other guys to be the best player right. for an individual season. Right. Um, but it, I think it is hard as a as a player to sort of accept that role and never and be okay with never being in a the same spot and doing the same thing game in and game out yeah i think that there's different skill sets to different parts of the park i mean also you, then there's situations like the one that Cesc fabregas found finds himself in at chelsea where 
it's not that he's being played out of position. He's just not being played. And I yeah. think that the two are related because what happens when you're a player like Fabregas, who is not as much industry as a lot of other players have, mm-hmm. but is probably one of the most naturally gifted passers playing in Europe over the last five years, if not now, right? I mean, he basically unlocked that last game for Chelsea against Watford where he hit Hazard. Um, He, some people thought he was going to be playing in the Pirlo role where he would Mm -hmm. stay deep. He expressed interest in doing that too. Uh, And he would basically have a bodyguard with him, whether it was Matic or Conte. And instead, uh, Antonio Conte has decided to play Matic and Conte together. Um, I don't know whether he'll change his mind or if that'll start happening as they play at home more against lesser opponents. They didn't do it against Watford. It's, I mean, maybe this, I just always expect managers to be slightly more conservative. So it's hard to think you could see Fabregas playing there and then Conte being like, okay, you know what? This isn't working. I can't be like protecting one guy every game on my team. So I'm going to play more defensive. It's hard for me to be like, think that he'll, take a defensive player off the field and put in Fabregas. Um, but it's that's what it comes down to. It's like these managers sort of have a system, and by having to... you By playing Fabregas in that position, you have to have more defensive players around him to sort of pick up the defensive slack that right. he creates. And I think managers have these systems, and they don't want to have to... Um, you know, fill in for a player's de- deficiencies. Why not play Fabregas a little closer to goal? Why not play him in the Oscar role? It's just because Oscar is a little bit busier. I, I th- yeah, I think you still want that, like Klopp wants with Liverpool, you still want that defensive pressure higher up the field because if you win the ball higher up after you lose it, you're close to goal and the team's disorganized. Just as like a, a counter argument to that, when you're playing someone like Burnley, who's, yeah, we, you share, shared a stat, uh, a pass map with me of Burnley against Liverpool <laughs> and the most... Uh, the the most well traveled route of the ball yeah, by far was goalie to striker was yeah. keeper to striker a long ball yeah um what do you do if you're a counter pressing team like Liverpool and that's the way that's the opposition you're going to face because if I'm a lot of managers in the Premier League right now if I'm David Moyes if I'm you know if I'm even Slavin Bilic and some of the other teams that do like to keep the ball on the grass yeah I look at that and I'm just like you can take Liverpool out of the game if you just go over their heads. Yeah, well, I mean... And I'm not trying to sound like an idiot. I'm just saying, like, that just it was very effective. No, I totally agree. And, I mean, part of that does come down to the, how early Burnley scored in that game. If they don't score that early and they're not sort of sitting on a lead, I don't know if they're going to play as conservatively. But with that, it's like Liverpool is a team you look at, and it's like if they had a guy like Fabregas, a midfield passer that can sort of unsettle a difference from farther back, that's how you break down a bunkered in team, you know, right. for by playing these passes at these weird angles that gets through defense. Um, Liverpool's problem is like all of these midfielders are guys that run around and provide a lot of energy. But when there's all this space, you don't need that energy. You need someone who can take a second and split the defense open. Do you think that? Um, do you think that sometimes it's about, especially with Liverpool's midfield, and I'm thinking a little bit about. Spurs midfield too because we've seen like like you were talking about Wanyama and and Dyer playing together. Is it about finding that balance between creativity and 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 sort of defensive mindfulness that that is like essentially the difference between being a fifth place team and a third place team? I think it is. I I ultimately think it is when you look at all the best midfields it has some kind of balance of that. Yeah. But I, but I think we're seeing a lot of teams that are now playing with just very similar midfielders who can sort of be interchanged with each other because then it lets you sort of 
it lets the guys move around the field you and can it also, rotate you can rotate easily but then you get these games against burnley where it's like you need guys that have this special ability that other people don't have to break down teams well it's like almost that. like you wrote something today a really good thing about uh, a piece on the ringer about zlatan dubrovich and paul pogba and basically mm-hmm. that united is essentially statistically playing at about the same yeah. level that they were last year except now they have pogba and ibrahimovic mm-hmm. and you can kind of see where the money goes when you yeah. watch those guys play and we tend to think about things especially in discussing them it, we we have like very rigid understandings of what players do so this is essential it's a defensive midfielder yeah. this is an attacking little number 10 with fleet yeah. like good passing but then players like pogba come along Mm-hmm. And you watch, there's a great video from a, a, a guy named Tom Payne, P-A-Y-N-E, and he puts up these video analyses of um, different players. And he put up with a Pogba. And I just hadn't really thought about people playing midfield that way. This, yeah. All these shots and, and moments of him against um, against Southampton of him shielding the ball, which is yeah. like a skill that you don't really think about when you're like, okay, like Lucas or Emre Chan or Jordan Henderson or Aaron Ramsey or Coughlin are particularly adept at doing it's basically Pogba stuck in his own half with people running at him pressuring him and him just like shielding the ball and guys bouncing off him and then he turns and makes a 60 yard diagonal pass yeah which is like just like I think you don't really see like you see Gerard do stuff like that at his peak yeah I think it's sort of always recently it's been if you have a guy on your back you play it back to the defense and then you show yourself in more space to get it mm-hmm. back and that's how you beat a press but when you have a guy that like it's essentially watching to me it's like watching a post player in the nba but this is actually a useful thing while post play in the nba is maybe sort of like dying off like Pogba gets it and he, sh- he doesn't only shield the defender off of him he turns and beats the defender and these teams are pressing him so it's a bunch of guys sort of out in of the position space now. yeah and he creates just so much space <laughs> yes. just by turning on someone yeah and it's like it's such a rare ability because it's just hard to do. You need to have extreme body control and coordination. And if you fuck it up, the other team wins the ball and you're de- you're totally exposed. Right. And that, and it'll inevitably happen that either that's how Pogba gets an ankle yeah. tear or that's how Pogba will give away a goal. I mean, it's not like yeah. he's perfect. But when you see Guardiola pack the midfield with his fullbacks mm-hmm. going drifting in. Yeah. That's essentially three or four people doing the job of what Pogba's doing by himself, yeah. at least in that Southampton game. It's amazing. If, if you haven't had a chance to watch him yet, it, Ryan and I talk about him a lot. We kind of fawn over him. There's lots of stuff he does that's a, that's very Hollywood. The key to his game is actually not the Hollywood shit. It's actually the weird stuff he does with the ball in his mm-hmm. own half that only two or three people can do in the world. Yeah. I mean, we talk about these guys that are amazing dribblers and you always think of like these wingers that are doing like 15 step overs yeah. and dribbling past a defender he's getting the ball and dribbling past midfielders in his own half and it creates just chaos for the other team um i don't know what sean deitch would do with paul pogba but i would uh i'd give in. my unborn first child up to to know sean deitch <laughs> is the manager of burnley and we're gonna end today's pod with just a little bit of chatter about him and uh, Burnley's had like an okay start to the season. They lost to Swansea in the first day. They beat Burnley in the second match, two nothing. Beat Liverpool. Beat Liverpool. Sorry, in the second match, and they uh, lost to Accrington Stanley in the uh, Carling Cup or <laughs> the League Cup. Um, but that's not really the story that we want to talk about with with Sean Dyche. Um, he has become basically the new Sam Allardyce mm-hmm. in the sense that he is a huge proponent of um, himself. Yeah, and a 
somewhat of a detractor to the uh, incursion of foreign managers in the Premier League <laughs> and what it means for the chances of British-born managers. Um, here's just some choice quotes. Um, Antonio Conte came in at Chelsea and he got recommended for bringing a hard, fast new leadership to Chelsea, which involved doing 800 meter runs, 400 meter runs and 200 meter runs. Come to my training and see Sean Dyche doing that. And you'd say (laughs) dinosaur, a young English dinosaur manager. He hasn't got a clue. So I love talking about yourself in the third person. I found all these quotes on football 365. So shout out to them for putting them all in one place. Um, You know, just along the same lines, they questioned me for playing 4-4-2 and then everyone played it last year and it was amazing Claudio Ranieri. (laughs) Amazing tactical genius. Slight difference. Yeah. Claudio Ranieri won the Premier League. Yeah. Um, And my favorite one is this one about talking about Man City. Uh, Clichy was talking, Gail Clichy, was talking about his amazing new diet, saying, we don't just eat junk food. We've been doing that here since I got here. I did it at Watford. So are other English (laughs) managers. Here are the dietitians. This is what you do. We've sort a chef out and he's going to support you we've got the supplements hmm and we've go (laughs) and we're going to have a fluid consultant come in don't know what a fluid consultant is uh because i'm sean dyche you wouldn't be interested (laughs) it's go on pep tell us about your pizzas (laughs) so do you think he has a point at all like if sean dyche was put in charge of liverpool manchester united manchester city arsenal tomorrow would he get the same results as some of those other managers? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think for one, you know, he's not English, but he's British. Brendan Rodgers sort of got a lot of respect for what he did with Liverpool and the sort of unique techniques used. I mean, he got made fun of a lot for the like envelope, yeah, envelope gate. Um, or whatever you want to call it. So I think he's... I My issue with Deitch is, like, it's great to have just an idiot yeah. like this, like, droning this is, on. I mean, we, we were talking about, like, how it's the year of the manager. It's nice yeah. to have somebody who's just full of shit who's yeah. also down there. Yeah, it's great, but, I mean, it's just, like, he's just oversimplifying everything. Also, which the is, tenor of the anti-foreign manager bit yeah. is a little bit touchy in the time of Brexit and everything else that's happening. Yeah, the... Right the Farage vibes are not. Yeah, they're not. not good. Uh, they're not. Good. Not the look you want to be giving off. But it's you know he's just oversimplifying everything. Like the four four two thing. It's like not all four four twos are the same thing. Of course not. Like Klopp is not having Minule bomb the ball up the field to Sturridge every single time he right. gets it. Maybe you should. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I would have worked better than what they did on Saturday. Um, so I think it's it's. It's just not a good look for for Deitch. I don't yeah. like. Is this? I mean, we're talking about him, so there there is that. Yeah, I just think it's comedy. I mean, like it's actually been. I think the the bottom of the league has been a little bit depressing yeah. so far. Or it's just you can tell. I think that you're just going to see a real divide between top ten and bottom ten, and yeah. I think there can be a ten team relegation battle and a ten team mm-hmm. Champions League chase. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if the points will necessarily work themselves out that way, but you just see, I think the, the money difference is really telling. It's interesting with, um, speaking of the money stuff, I did want to ask you one more question, not not, non dice related is, uh, the amount of, um, investment that's happening right now in not only in the premier league, but around, around Europe. And especially this week, there was rumors about, um, 
Chinese sovereign wealth fund becoming involved with or be just outright buying Liverpool or becoming mm-hmm. a heavy investor in there or becoming some sort of minority investor and what that would mean for the for the team and also just in general like there was a time when there was a pretty established hierarchy in English football and then there was the Roman Abramovich Sheikh Mansour revolution where these uh, deep pocketed outside influences mm-hmm. came in and bought clubs and all of a sudden Chelsea became a global power all of a sudden Manchester City became a global power if you're presented with a world in which and I know we talked about this before but if you're presented in a world in which there's like 10 incredibly wealthy clubs mm-hmm. is that better or worse for the Premier League I think it's worse um, I mean it would be f- fun to have i guess to have like a 10 an open 10 team like we don't know which of the 10 teams is going to win every year we mm-hmm. you know we've talked about how cool it is that maybe there are six teams that could win this year because it's never felt like that but i just think like you know economic stratification like that it's just never good in any any kind of economy sure. i don't think yeah um it sort of doesn't spur a lot of like innovation and stuff like that. Um, and I don't know what it means for all of these other clubs in England if that happens. Right. So I, w- I, I don't think I'd want to want to see that happen. I think the issue with sometimes also like when you see look at like Everton's event, it, yeah. it, you know, investment. And I'm sure and there's been talk about Usmanov, who's uh, Alshir Usmanov, who has, owns part of Arsenal getting involved with Everton, which would make them possibly incredibly wealthy and mm-hmm. ready to compete with a lot of other clubs. I think the issue with ha- what happens is like, let's say in five years, the Chinese don't buy into Liverpool. Yeah. FSG is still there. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know what? This is a waste of money. Yeah. We're just gonna, like we, we are always sixth. And whenever we have a good player like Coutinho, we'll just get bought in a year by somebody with bigger. So we invest all this money in these players and they wind up getting bought and maybe we get some money back, but we can't track big name players because we're not in Champions League and we can't get in Champions League because we can't. And just like, and then you're just going to start seeing it. If these teams go for sale, I I just don't want to see a bubble burst. Do you know what I mean? And it feels like if that much money comes in the league, you get into a bubble mentality. Yeah, I mean, it does. I don't know. It's hard to look at. You know, I'm, I don't like the whole thing of comparing however much like Troy Deeney cost this year to come to what like, you know, Matt Letizia costs like 20 sure, years ago. Yeah. That's just like, it does, that's, I'm so don't many have things much are different about the world, but yeah. it does seem like, like there is like spending like going up like this, like historically, I don't think it ever like ends well when it's just rocketing up you yeah know I, mean? I mean you could say that live sports rights will continue to be valuable because yeah. they're the one thing that makes people keep cable and yeah. if that kind of money is still there but it is there is something afoot and i, mm-hmm. I think in some ways it could be good i think if so, in some ways it would be good if someone someone bought porto and turned porto into mm-hmm. like a european superpower and yeah. made the portuguese league a bigger deal and there was like some but at the same time, it, it's just it's just it's scary when you think about like some of these clubs just like evaporating. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. But and it's just like you know, it's we're sort of it feels like we're headed toward like this hege- hegemony with like yeah. these. Yeah, and I clubs. think that those clubs, like you were saying before, about the your big European leagues wanting to be solidify having four teams in, and there was but there was talk before about the Premier League limiting relegation. Yeah, I and and that, you know, then, I mean, I guess that sort of creates an environment where these 
lower level teams can then spend more money because they're not worried about being relegated. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like give the, Sean Dyche the <laughs> weapons he needs. I'm just reticent of the idea of like to make to create more parity is just to shoot more money into everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think that always ends poorly, as you were sort of suggesting. This podcast didn't end poorly, though. Absolutely not. Uh, until next time, me and Ryan will probably not be around for about a week or two because of the international break, and we have nothing really to contribute about the chances of people playing international uh, friendlies. But until then, we'll be back to talk about the Premier League in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.